As the youth pastor, it is my privilege every year to preach on graduation Sunday. And this year is a unique year because we had two different kind of services building up to this one service. Not traditional services where we sing worship and then, then we preach. And then we have someone stand up here and, and share the word of God. Um, and so I'm, I'm finding that this is, is not an easy transition for me. Joellen, um, who, who works in the office, asked me this week if I felt it was going to be difficult preaching after my wife did such a good job two weeks ago. Um, if you were here, uh, not just her, but the, the ladies up here, they did an amazing, amazing job. And she asked me this question. Yes, um, it is difficult. Uh, not that I'm competitive. I'm really, I'm really actually one of the most least competitive people you'll ever meet. Um, until, until you get a Frisbee in my hand and we play some ultimate Frisbee, right? Um, <laughs> but with all four women that spoke on Mother's Day, and then last week with Impact Eaton, where, where Eaton was flooded with purple shirts, you know, that was just so cool to see. With the two weeks in a row where these amazing things happen, happening, I feel like this, this bar has been raised on what we're supposed to be doing here on Sunday mornings. And so I'm like, okay, bar's up here. I'm, I don't know if I can get up there. Let's do this, all right? And so in this thinking, in this process, I'm like, all right, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's get the grads out here. I'm feeling like, you know, get the fog machine and get the fireworks going. And let's, let's just really amp it up. And, and then I realized I didn't really have the budget for those things. And so um, I decided to amp it up theologically. Let's dive in deep into God's word and really grasp his truth. And so I'm like, we're going to do 1 Peter 1, 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. And if you're not familiar with those, that, that passage, that's, that's 16 verses. Let's just say I did not meet the standard of the bar that has been set because I'm not going to be able to cover 16 verses this morning. That is a lot, especially with the topic we're going to be covering, which is holiness. So we're going to cover four verses today, not 16. We're going to cut it in a fourth, and we're going to cover four verses this morning because as I was praying and as I was really just diving into what needs to be talked about, the word Holiness just came to me because as I was thinking about our graduates and as they're, they're venturing off into, into this next stage of their life, what, what can I share with them? Because I know forever they will remember this one particular message, but what can I share with them that will last a lifetime? And, and I'm hoping that, that just this word holiness will stick with you, to be holy so before we jump into 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, um, I want to pray over, over this. And I want to pray again over our, our students and all of us here that, that what God has for us will carry with us as we leave this place this morning. God, Peter was an apostle and he had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him and, and, and he had this amazing gift from, from you to pin these words that will last forever because they are your words through him. And I pray that these words stand 
this test of time, that they, 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 they take more than just words on a page, but that they're entered into our eyes and deeply rooted into our hearts and into our minds so that we, we turn around and live lives worthy of the calling that we've received. Pray this in your name, Jesus, that, that this soaks in deep into our souls. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray this. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Now, being a Christian has some really great benefits. I mean, there's salvation in itself. This, this understanding that, that we have been rescued from our sin. The sin that led to death, both spiritually and physically. The sin that separated us from God. We have been rescued by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and by his death and resurrection. As Christians, we also get this great benefit known as eternal life. We get eternal life with God the Father, God the Son, and God, God the Holy Spirit. We also have this hope of, of Jesus Christ and his return. There are so many benefits. We have, we have the benefit of suffering and suffering for the sake of Christ. And um, Wait a second. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, suffering... Suffering. Did I actually want to say suffering there? Um, did I want to? Okay, I guess I did. A benefit of being a Christian is suffering. Yeah! Awesome! Or is it? You know, Peter, when he was writing this letter to those in Asia Minor, which is uh, modern-day Turkey, there were several churches that, that this letter would go to and, and they would stay at this church for a time and they would read it for encouragement and then they would pass it on to another church and they would read it and they would pass it on to another church. That's often how these letters worked. When he was sending this letter to them, he was doing it as an encouragement to those who were under heavy persecution at the time for professing their faith, faith in Jesus Christ as, as their Savior. And, and so... He addresses this, this elephant in the room, per se, that they're being persecuted. Yet he takes this persecution and he takes it and he flips it on its head because that's what Jesus does with, with persecution and suffering and pain. He takes those things that are, are, are to the world very odd and, and things you don't want and he flips them on their head and he says, these things are actually joyful and good and holy. I think back to the four ladies who, who were up here on Mother's Day. If you haven't heard that time, if you, haven't, if you weren't here for that Sunday, please go on our website and listen to those four women and the stories that they shared. Because you will know what I'm talking about with these, these sorrows being turned into joy. You see, these, these, these four women 
they, they shared about their burdens, and, and honestly, let's just call it what it is. They shared of, of, of what it was like to have sufferings in motherhood. And in each of these incredible women, God refined them and purified them. Whether it was letting go of control and allowing God to lead, or, or seeing God as, as a father who actually gives us the desires of our hearts, even if it's not the way the world tells us it should be, or even the way we want it ourselves, he still allows us to be what we want and have those desires. Or he's refining us to see how deep and, and, and rooted the world is in, in our hearts and in our souls and how he's trying to, 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 to rip that stuff away so that we can truly be perfected and, and, and made holy. So yeah, Peter begins his letter, these first few verses from, from verse 3 to, to verse 12, talking about the wonders of being a follower of Christ where we have salvation, we have hope, we have eternal life, and we even have sufferings as Christians. And we realize that even the sufferings cannot rob us of our joy. And then he begins to instruct these readers. And hopefully he instructs us today of what that next step is. Now that we have all these amazing things, now that we realize where, where we stand in relationship with Christ, here's what we're to do. And so we have 1 Peter 1, 13, where he says, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter begins with a saying that we find all throughout the Old Testament. It's actually one of my favorite sayings because uh, I read in the book of Job and if, if if you've never read the book of Job, just check it out. There's this great part where the Old Testament, it says, gird up your loins. Now the NIV translates it here, prepare your minds for action. But more literally, it means to gird up your loins. Now in, in the Old Testament or in, in Middle Eastern culture, even today in Middle Eastern culture, men would wear these tunics and they would come down to about your ankles. And if there was a moment that there was manual labor or if there was a time when they would be presented with a battle or a fight that was ensuing and they just had to, uh, not being prepared for it, they had to jump in, this tunic would be a little restrictive. It'd be a little tight for them to walk around or maybe fight or do something. So what they would do is they would gird up their loins. So they would reach down and they would pull the tunic up to right about here. And they would bunch it up and then like pull it, tighten it back here, and then reach back around, tighten it, wrap it around, tie a knot, and they would be good to go. They were mobile. They were agile. I remember in junior high and in high school when I was playing basketball. Now, I wasn't on the junior high team, but I remember the junior high guys, they would announce the starting five and they would come out, you know, in their warm-ups. They'd be like, yeah, I'm awesome because I'm on junior high basketball. And I was jealous of them. And uh, there were these new type of warm-ups that they had at the time called tearaway pants. <laughs> oh, so cool. I wanted them so bad. And... And you know, if you're not familiar with what they are, I really hope you are because they're so cool. The, 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 the starting five, they would come and they like, you know, get all pumped up. And then all of a sudden it'd be game time and they blow the whistle and then they take their pants and they go, 
And they'd rip them off and just throw them to the side. And they, were, they had shorts on underneath, don't worry. And so they were ready to go. They were ready to play. I wanted them bad until I got a pair. And then I realized I had to button every button after I ripped them off. It's like, that was the worst decision ever. My friends, at no point in our Christian walk are we to remain in our warm-ups. At no point in our Christian walk are we to remain in our tearaway pants. From beginning to end, we are not supposed to find a lazy boy, sit back and just watch things happen. Instead, because of the amazing things that we've received through Jesus Christ, hope, eternal life, suffering, we must gird up our loins. We must tear away our warm-ups, roll up our sleeves, whatever metaphor you want to use, and we must take action. It's time to start moving. And so Peter continues helping us see exactly what it means to be called to action and what it looks like. Come back to scripture here. We'll read verse 13 again. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, which means more or less be sober-minded. Think about not having distractions, but having clear vision. See your hope fully, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so he goes on as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter's response to this call to action, what we're supposed to do his declaration for us to be sober-minded and, and focused on this future hope is for us to be holy. Be holy. Now this word holy, this holiness, it's an elusive Christianese word that, that we kind of know, but we kind of don't. And oftentimes our minds go immediately to those, like to, to a perfect set of rules that we have to follow. And, and we feel like we can't live up to that standard. I mean, sometimes we think it may have to do with, with cows. I'll let that sink in for a moment. Holy cow. Or it may have to do with fecal matter. I'm not going to say what that is, but I'll let you conclude there. It may have to do with people who are perfect and never do anything wrong, or at least think they never do anything wrong, hence the phrase holier than thou. I mean, we get that God is holy, right? We get that. He's set apart. There's no one like him. He is all-powerful. No one can touch him. Then we get to verses like this. And in and, and verse 16 here where, where Peter says, be holy because I'm holy. He, he's quoting Leviticus 11, 44, 45, 19, 2. It's, it's scattered throughout all scripture. This, this phrase, be holy because I'm holy. From God, a command to us. And it's hard to understand what this holiness thing is. What it means to us. 
So we're going to try to pick that apart today and figure out exactly what's happening and what, what God is, is calling us to truly be as those who are holy. So holiness in its definition means to be set apart in that there is nothing else like it. Like with God, he is holy because there is no one like him. Holy is that which is separated from impurities. It is pure. It is undefiled. It is spotless. That's what God established when he, when he set apart a nation of his own. That's who God is in himself. And this, this nation of Israel that he established, he wanted a people to represent holiness. His holiness to the rest of the world. So when people would look at Israel, they wouldn't look at just a, a simple nation, but they would look at them and be like, oh, that's God's people. Because they represent him well and they see it. And to help us better get a grasp on, on what this holy thing is, let's go all the way back. Back to the first glimpse of a human's interaction with God and his holiness. It happens in Exodus chapter 3. Moses, he, he's a character in the Old Testament and, and he's, he's a prophet, pretty, pretty well known. Hopefully you, you've heard of Moses. Moses, he finds this burning bush out in the wilderness and he sees it in the distance and he sees this bush that's on fire. But what's so interesting about this bush that's on fire is it's not really burning anything up. There's, there's nothing that's really catching on fire, but it is on fire. And he's like, let's go and see what this interesting thing is. And so he goes over and, and sees it. And all of a sudden he hears God call out to him, Moses, Moses. And, and so he's like, okay, I better go to this because it's calling my name. And so he's going there and, and then he gets close to the, to the tree, and this is what happens in Exodus chapter 3, 5, and 6. God says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You see, Moses, he couldn't come any closer. And as we see here, God's glory is so powerful. His holiness is so pure that he, he puts off this glory. It's called Shekinah glory. That's so bright and so pure that if there's any impurity, it would be destroyed. If there's any kind of, 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 of anything defiled, it would be eradicated. And it's here that we're introduced to, to, the, to the power of holiness. To the reality that God's holiness is so powerful that humans just cannot be in a, an area with him. So fast forward some years and we find Moses on Mount Sinai with, with his people, with the people of Israel down at the bottom of Mount Sinai waiting for him. And he's having this conversation with God and, and God gives him these schematics or these blueprints for for a tent called a tabernacle. You see, during this time, Israel was, was roaming around the desert. They were going here and there and everywhere. Wherever God was leading them, Moses would say, go here, and Moses would take them. And so, as there were nomads at this time, um, they, they were given this tent, a tabernacle, a place where God could dwell with his people when they stopped for an extended period of time. And so, within this tabernacle, there was this little room called the most holy place 
or the Holy of Holies. And, and this Holy of Holies, it was, it was a place where they could confine the, the glory of God, the holiness of God, so that it wouldn't kill his people and he could still be with them. So they created this, this place called the Holy of Holies. And then when they eventually found their home and they, they built a temple, they, they, they built within the temple another place called the Most Holy Place or, or the Holy of Holies. All this so that God could be with his people. He wanted to be with them, but, but he was so powerful and so majestic and so beautiful that they just didn't want a random person walking close to the Holy of Holies and poof, there he blows up. Actually, only one time a year could a person enter the most holy place. And you've probably heard of this. It's called Yom Kippur. The one who would enter this, this holy place, this most holy place, was called the high priest. And he spent an entire week prior to this ritually purifying himself. As noted before, God's holiness is so powerful that it destroys impurity. And so if this guy is going to go in and God's glory is in there, he better be pure. Because with holiness, this, this idea of purity, it's a big deal. You see, sin, sin makes persons, places, and, and, and things impure. The holiness is pure, it's righteousness, it's undefiled. And that which is pure and that which is impure, they don't mix. They don't, they don't go together. So there were certain things that if an Israelite touched, they would be made impure. And, and this impurity would, would limit them from even entering the temple. They couldn't even enter the, 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 the doors of the temple they had to be ceremonially clean before they entered the temple. So there were places outside of the temple where they could become clean and then go in and offer sacrifices. Dead things, certain bodily emissions, people with diseases, etc., etc., blood, all this stuff. If you came in contact with it, you became immediately unclean. Impure. You touched it and, and the impurity would be on you and you could not enter the temple. And especially for the high priest, he had to make sure that he was away from that for a while before he could enter the most holy place. It was like this for thousands of years. Touching unclean things made us impure. Sin made us impure. And God's holiness had to be shielded in order to protect Israel from being obliterated. And then Jesus changed everything. He changed it all. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In this passage, we see that Jesus is described as the word of God. And it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, it's important to note here that this, this word dwell literally means tabernacled among us. Jesus, God in flesh, essentially what, what John is saying here is, Jesus came, God came and, and pitched a tent with his people. 
to live among his people. The implications of this are huge. They're really, really important and really big for us to grasp and understand because up to this point, God's holiness was contained. Touching something unclean somehow made us impure and unable to be near God. But now, because of Jesus, that's not the case. The holy of holies was on the move. God's holiness was now outside of of walls and and a curtain. Jesus began touching the unclean. Instead of avoiding the unclean, he began touching the unclean. He would touch lepers and others with disease. A specific instance where, where a woman touched his cloak and she was bleeding. The dead, he would touch them and raise them back to life. You see, instead of those impure things making Jesus unclean, what Jesus was doing with his holiness and with his purity is he would touch these things that were unclean and he would make them holy. He would make them pure. He would make them right again. You see, we often make this mistake that that miracles are just cool things that, that showed how powerful Jesus is. And yes, they are. They are there to show us how powerful Jesus is. But each miracle has a purpose in the overarching mission of Jesus Christ. You see, the, the miracles that we have here in, in, in the Gospels of what Jesus did is, is, is now his showing that he came to earth to bring his holiness out of the temple. No longer contained with walls and a curtain. So it was like everywhere that Jesus went, so went God's holiness. And it didn't obliterate people. It didn't kill people. Instead, it made them right again. It made them holy. And God didn't stop there. You see, Jesus promised his followers that that there would be one to follow him. There would be one to come after him. He, He called him the holy, there's that word again, spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and take up residence in the lives of his followers, those who believe in his his, his death and resurrection. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, those who believe now possess the Holy Spirit within them. God dwells within those who believe in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you call Jesus Savior and Lord, realize that God dwells within you. I hope you see where I'm getting here. Each one of us, we are physical representations of the holy of holies because within us dwells the holiness of God. And the only way we can have that happen is because of what Jesus did on the cross and believing in what he did on the cross. So we are now a bunch of holies of holies.
We see this echoed from, from Paul as he talks about Christians being the body of Christ or, or, or being uh, the, the body being a temple. We, we hear it from Peter himself in, in, a, in the next chapter. In 2.5, Peter says this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now let me pause for just a moment because I'm going to ask you a question and it's a question that does demand an answer. But it's not an answer that I need to hear. It's an answer that, that you need to, to have between you and God. It's an answer you need to give him. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I'm not just saying, do you believe it like in, yeah, God, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. It's all good, man. No. Do you believe it to the point where there's action? Because where we're going after this, where, where, where the, the, the understanding of holiness takes us after this gets to be somewhat difficult. So do you believe it? If you do, if you do believe this, that you are a walking and breathing and living holy of holies in which the, the Holy Spirit, the God in the, in, in the third person of the Trinity dwells with inside you. And then it's time for you to gird up your loins. It's time for you to tear away those tear away pants. It's time for you to roll up your sleeves and do something about it. Do something. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, just a few verses after our passage right now. Peter says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, because of, again, the work on the cross, we have been made clean, we have been made pure, therefore God can be with us. God can dwell with us. And because we are made clean, we are now that embodiment of the Holy of Holies. And wherever we go, we are to go in action. Because holiness is traveling with us. On the drive to work or school, in the office, at home, in the grocery store, at sporting events, in the classroom. When you're exercising, wherever you may go, you name it, you are carrying holiness with you. The holiness of God. Which also means you now have within you the one who will make that which is impure, pure. Do you realize and do you believe that you have that power within you? That wherever you go, holiness is traveling with you. And not just holiness that makes, that's making you right and pure, but actually the things that, that are around you, God can use you to make that which is impure Pure, because he uses us as this conduit, as a way to, to, to bring out his holiness. I think back to last week. We had people all over Eaton. 
different parks, different people's homes, different city buildings. And some projects were more visible than others. But we were all over the place. Which means we were bringing holiness all over the city. You see, it used to be that that there was a temple and, and, and within the temple there was the Holy of Holies and, and that's where God dwelled. That's where holiness was. And so people would come to this temple to, to, to be near holiness. They would come to the temple to, to be restored and made new and to have, be made clean again. But now, it's different because Jesus changed everything. He made it a mobile ministry. He made us mobile he took us from just being people who say, hey, come on in, come on in, come on in. We'll, we'll, we'll make you right, we'll make you holy. But, but instead he's saying, go out. Go out and take holiness with you. Do you realize that, that you don't have to bring someone to this church and have a pastor preach a message about Jesus Christ for them to accept them? You can tell them about Jesus Christ yourself and what he's done in your life. Because I'll, I'll, trust me, most of the people you'll bring in here have no idea who I am. And so what I say may not, may not get to them as deep as what God has done in your life and in your story. And he will use that story to show that you are not holy, but then he made you holy. And guess what? That same holiness that dwells with inside you can go to the next person that you're telling it about. And they can carry that on and carry that on and carry that on. Holiness is not stationary. It's not sitting in a lazy boy watching things happen. It's not wearing your warm-ups anymore. It's going out and doing something about it. That is what it means to be holy. I'm going to ask the worship team to come one up. Graduates, as I, I began praying over you and, and, and what to give you, I felt like this is what you need to hear. Don't just sit back and let life happen. You are being called to action. But it's not just the graduates, it's all of us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be more than just bench warmers who keep our warm-ups on. We are called in to the game to do something. So I go back to the question I asked a few minutes ago. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? Because if you do, it's time to start moving. Pray with me. Jesus, um, you were the first one to move. A scripture tells us, like, you set the stage for everything. You were the first to do it all. And so let us follow in your footsteps, being ones who bring your holiness into the world. Use us to shape and mold and change lives. Use us to make your holiness spread 
throughout the city, this nation, and this world. We pray this in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. We all said, Amen. Amen.